of the Lord. Blessed is his word.
And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord God, this day, Lord God. Father, we just ask that you would have your way in this place, Lord God. Everyone underneath the sound of my voice, we thank you in advance, Lord God, for meeting us at the point of our need, Lord God, individually and collectively, Lord God. For you are what we need you to be when we need you to be it. You are our everything, Lord God, and we thank you for that, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would just have your way, Lord God, in this place as we submit unto your will, Lord God. Bless those that are on their way, Lord God, that they may have straight, safe travels, Lord God, as well as those that had a mind to be here that couldn't be here, Lord God. Bless them as well, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. And we'll thank you in advance for it, Lord God. Healing, deliverance, and setting people free. As we know that you can and you will do in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Bless our pastor, the shepherd of this house, Lord God. Those things that he speaks to you about in private, Lord God. Your word says that you will reward him openly, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord God. And all those that is connected unto him. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God, as we submit the, the remainder of this service, Lord God, into your hands, Lord God, once again, we ask that you would have your way. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Take control. Take control. Here and now. Take control. Oh, here 
Thank you for these gifts, Lord God, that it was given this morning, Lord God, in our tithes and our offering, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for those that had to give and those that didn't have to give. Bless them that they may be able to give upon the next, of next appointed time, Lord God. We thank you and we bless you for these gifts this day. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. you get to step into the house of the Lord one more time. How many people know that the Lord will take control and let you rise one more time? How many people are glad and proud and happy to be the children of God? How many people know through everybody else's situation you can give them a good, helpful word and say, hey, if you let somebody, if you let Jesus take control, he'll let you rise. When they say, oh, I don't even know what to do, you give them this song. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King Rise among us. Oh, let it ride. I'm going to do that one more time. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King rise among us. Oh, let it ride. Come on, God's people. Help me, help me. Let the glory. Let the glory of the Lord rise, 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 r
the glory of the Lord. Rise the glory of the Lord.
your financial strength, in the presence of your marriage, in the presence of your school, in the presence of anything that may take your mind away from him, you just have to raise a hallelujah. And when you raise that praise, you honor God in the midst of whatever you're going through. That's a surrender, that's a praise, that's humbling yourself to say, you know what, I may not know what's going on, but I know enough to praise you. 
Because I know you can bring me through it. Amen. Hope will 
enemies I'll raise a hallelujah Louder than the
if y'all want to this song right here is my testimony y'all don't know but I was in the psych ward on Thursday the enemy hit me so hard I wanted to take myself out but thanks be to God I pray God I don't know what to do give me the wisdom to know what to do so as I sat in that hospital room by myself in the dark I was so bored. I said, Lord, I feel so alone. And in my spirit, music just rose up. And I'm sitting in my room on my knees on my bed, and I'm singing, and I'm singing, and I'm singing. And as I'm singing, I can feel the clouds rolling away. I can feel everything fall away. My brain became clear. The thoughts went away. And I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I just kept saying, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, God, hallelujah, for saving me. Thank you, God. So when she said, sing in the middle of your storm, you sing right there in the middle of your storm because God hears you. God is right there with you and he will snatch you right on out. Right there in that dark place that you thought nobody could see you, nobody could reach you. God looked down and he said, I hear you. And I got you. And I'm right here with you. No matter where you are, you in the hospital, okay? But I'm right here with you. So go ahead and praise me where you are. Because you can praise me when I bring you out. So praise me right there. So that everybody else in this hospital ward can hear you. The nurse came by, she said, you love your music, don't you? And I said, ma'am, my music is what brought me out. So I thank God today that I'm standing here in front of you to say you can sing in the middle of your storm because God hears you and he will bring you out. I never thought in a million years I would end up there. But I'm glad that I did because God showed me you depend on me no matter what. You look to me no matter what. No matter where you are, I am right there with you. And I thank God for staying with me and for saving me. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. You never know what your neighbor could be going through. Hallelujah. Our praise and our worship gets us through so much. Hallelujah. That's why when we get up here for times like this, don't take it lightly. This could be the last opportunity you have to give God the praise that he deserves. Hallelujah. You're worthy, God. Hallelujah. Nobody should have to ask you to praise God. Hallelujah. He's done enough for everybody in here. For everybody in here to get up and say hallelujah. You're worthy, God. You're worthy, God. Think over your life and think about where you would be without God. That should be enough. Hallelujah. 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 You're worthy, God. You're worthy, God. You're worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. You didn't have to do what you do for us every day, but you do, God. We're undeserving of what you do for us. You do it because you love us, God, and we just want to thank you. Hallelujah. We could have been planning 
funeral, God, hallelujah. Thank you, God. We could have been. God. The enemy tried so hard. So hard. I don't know where I would be if I would be planning a funeral today. God, hallelujah. Thank you for keeping her mind steady enough to stay focused on you, God. You're worthy, God. Hallelujah.
listen to that song with tears in my eyes. I have a old pastor in Paris, Tennessee. Him and I talks a lot. was talking last weekend and in Paris, Tennessee population 7,000 people 7,000 people 22 people died last month alone and it wasn't COVID So that song, sweetheart, that song means a lot. We all need a hallelujah. Because it's getting there. We need to start recognizing. I was, the scripture that I gave you this morning is about wisdom. Seek thee first, the Lord, and gain your wisdom. Because the majority of those deaths was young people shooting up each other, killing up each other. It had really gotten ridiculous. So, in other words, another man was trying to tell me about old folks, old folks dying. No, these wasn't old folks. These people was 50 and under. 50 and under. 22 in a one town alone. And guess what? They all was black. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Let's just celebrate the Lord one more time. Concerning worship. We've seen a lot of examples of worship in the world that really aren't worship. When I say the world, I'm talking about the church world. We've turned worship into a show. it into lights and cameras and smoke and a bunch of bouncing around and really in truth being completely disconnected from the one that we say we are worshiping while the church looks at this and says wow all the instruments and singers and dancers and that's not worship. Amen. Come on. 
Worship is intimate. Worship is Jaleesa in the hospital. It is being brought into the face of God. The word tells us that everybody can worship God. They can praise him. They cannot worship him because to worship, you have to have an intimate connection with that which you worship. Makes me ask the question, what is our worship truly all about? The church is losing its way, trying to become more and more like the world, the watered down gospel. struggling to find our own identity, to be a part of something for which we are to be separated from. Live under the monicum, go along to get along. Daring to offend anyone by speaking that which is true. when we don't, as preachers, teach the truth, it becomes easy for those that follow to misunderstand worship, to misunderstand their identity in Christ. We become more self-help oriented than we are God oriented. But in times of crisis, in times of great travail, the only thing that is going to deliver you is the truth found in Jesus. Amen. And this is why worship is so important because it is intimate and it draws you close to your deliverer. Amen. I would presume that in those moments when Jalisa was singing and she was seeing clouds move away, which is the oppressive presence of our enemy being hushed away because nothing can stand in the presence of a holy God except that which is holy. Amen. And when you begin to worship God and you begin to praise God, you invite God to inhabit your very presence. You magnify the God that has been implanted in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you magnify that which is in you, which is greater than that which is outside of you, it expels even the presence of every evil power that would try to steal even your very life. We can't, we don't have time 
any longer to take our relationship with God as just something that we do. We don't have the time now to play church. We don't have time now to talk a good game. To wear a beautiful Christian mask. Because the enemy wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And had the enemy had his way, he would not have just destroyed one life, but he would have destroyed many lives in that one act. I'm so glad that the Lord met you and that you're still here. I'll fuss at you later. <laughs> the word of God in the book of John, the fourth chapter, starting at the 19th verse, says this. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is come, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, am he. You may be seated. Upon a cursory examination of the text, we find that this woman senses this man at the well, this man that is speaking with her, is a prophet. In essence, a man who is touched by God. And because he was a man that was touched by God, he would have the capability to help her. She sensed the sin that was in her life and the need to take care of that sin so that she could truly worship God. But the question lingered in her heart as to where the worship is to take place. You see, back in that day, there was a dispute about where God's presence really dwelled. It was a dispute about where a person could truly meet God. The Samaritans would say that God's presence was in Mount Gerizim. 
And the, the Jews said that the presence of God was in Jerusalem. Now, Samaria is a central part of Palestine. Palestine is a small country stretching only about 125, 20 miles from the northmost to the southmost. It's divided into three sections, and those three sections are very familiar in Christian biblical history, Judea, which is the southern section, Galilee, which is the northern section, and Samaria, the central section. And lying right between the two, there is this bitter hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Now, there are two things in particular that spawned this hatred. First, the Samaritans were a mongrel or half-Jew mixed breed by birth. You see, what happened was centuries before, about 720 B.C., the king of Assyria captured the ten tribes of Israel and deported a large number of the people, scattering them throughout the Mede Empire. You can read about this in 2 Kings 17, the 6th chapter through the 41st chapter, or 6th verse through the 41st verse. And then he takes people from all over Assyria and the Assyrian Empire and transplants them into the central part of this text a city called Samaria, with the sole purpose to repopulate the land. And the result is only going to be natural. When you have two people of opposing races or differing races, eventually somebody from one race is going to like somebody from another. Amen. And there comes what we refer to as intermarriage. And it took place, and people became a mixed breed, a breed that included transplanted people, people who were considered the weak of the land, who had been left behind, the outcast and the irreligious who had intermarried with the original Samaritans. And the fact of a mixed breed, of course, infuriates the strict Jew who holds to only a pure race. Secondly, the Samaritans were mongrel or half-Jews, a mixed breed by religion. They were both mixed by natural senses and by religious senses. The transplanted heathen, of course, brought their gods with them. And eventually, the God of Israel would win out, but the Samaritan religion never became pure Judaism. And because it was not pure Judaism, it had an effect. When Ezra led the Jews back from exile in Babylon, the first thing the Jews did was to start rebuilding their temple. And in the process of rebuilding, the Samaritans offered to help them. But the Jews rejected their help. They rejected it because the Samaritans, through intermarriage and the worship of false gods, lost their purity both naturally and religiously, and fortified their right, or rather forfeited their right, to worship the only true God. So this severe uh, challenge against the Samaritans embittered them against the Jews in Jerusalem. 
Samaritans, secondly, built a revival or a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. And its purpose was to stand in competition with the Jewish temple at Jerusalem. Thirdly, the Samaritans twisted both the scripture and history to favor their own people and their nation. They twisted scripture in that they accepted only the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the Pentateuch. They missed all the richness and the depth of the Psalms and the prophets and only held to the first five books. They twisted history in that they claimed three great events took place on Mount Gerizim that set it apart as a place of worship above Jerusalem. It was the place where Abraham offered Isaac, where Melchizedek met Abraham, and where Moses built his first altar after leading Israel out from Egyptian bondage. So here, standing before this woman, was the prophet who wrought a piercing conviction in her that she was to worship. He was a prophet, therefore he could help direct her. So she asked him, where then should I worship? Where could she find help from God? You see, worship is a calling in an intimate way for God's presence and covering. It is a complete surrender of yourself and a complete open allness of God. The place of worship, really the physical place, the physical location truly is not important. And I want you to understand three things that are detailed in this text. Jesus uses a peculiar phrase. He says, the hour cometh. There's an hour that was coming that was going to change the whole nature of worship. The way men approached God was going to experience a volcanic eruption. Worship of God was going to be radically and completely changed from what it was to something different. There was an hour and a historical event coming that would change it. Jesus was, of course, referring to his death, burial, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. The place of worship then is no longer the temple or any other particular location on the earth because God's presence now dwells in the heart and in the lives of his people. His people worship him then wherever they are at, even in the darkness of a hospital room, even in the presence of those who may not understand, even while the world is chaotic and seemingly falling down upon their shoulders, they worship God because where they are, God is. They worship him every day, all day long. 
because they are forever in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is God's house. This takes on a very powerful meaning in the life of a believer. I am no longer my own. That means that I really have no say over this body. We, 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 we grow up till we get to the place where we can say we're grown enough to do whatever we're grown to do. But truth be told, those that are in the body of Christ have no authority over their body because their body is the house of God. So then what you do to your body is being done to God's house. Every once in a while when I'm frustrated and my flesh wants to get the better of me, I have to remind myself that this house and every element of this house belongs to God and should therefore honor God in everything that it does. John 14, 16 through 17 tells us, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the counselor, the guide, but how often do we ever take a pause to just talk to the one that is in our face day in and day out? How often do we declare ourself, our intention, our thoughts, our plans to the Holy Spirit seeking guidance? You see, prayer is a two-way conversation. But we're like drive-by Christians. We're good at telling God stuff. We're not so good at waiting to hear God respond. Sometimes you've heard it said that your mouth speaks faster than your brain can process what's coming out. And you may have heard people tell you that you need to think before you speak. So that your words can be crafted by your thoughts. So when you're in the presence of God, and you're talking to God, and you get up and leave the presence of God, before hearing from God, you have received no direction. 
Therefore, you typically go forward and do the very thing that you brought to his attention for his direction, but because you left before the announcement came, you still know not what to do. I encourage you, people of God, that when you stand in the face of God and you're talking to God and you're praying to God and you're having this conversation with God, sit still. Don't be in such a hurry to get up and go do something else. Learn to meditate, to commune with God, to wait to hear what God has to say. You rob yourself when you get up before the conversation is over. You harm yourself when you don't get the response to the answer that you're looking for, not because God is not talking, but simply because you're no longer there to be heard. Paul tells us in Romans, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But too often we're living, we're communicating with God as if we're alive in the flesh and dead in the Spirit. But when you come to God, you can only come to him Believing that he is what he has declared himself to be. You know, there was a time when young people would sit at the dinner table with their family and they wouldn't get up until they were dismissed. Or they may even ask, I'm finished with my meal, may I be excused? There was a time when you were in the presence of those that had greater authority than you. You were quiet and still and waited to hear what was being said. You would not do what you were not instructed to do. Those times are waning now. And this is why there's so much chaos in our life. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. The Spirit of God, the anointing, that which breaks the yoke. The reason the enemy was not successful is because Jalisa tapped into the anointing that abides in her. And the anointing, when tapped in, destroys the yoke. Because the anointing, the, the same anointing, teaches you all things and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. You see, Ezekiel tells us that the Spirit of God will be put in us so that we might walk in the statutes of God and keep the judgments and do the things that he has called us to do. So the place of worship is not what's important. Some people do worship in Mount Gerizim. And some do worship in Jerusalem. But the place is not what's important. What's important is the object of worship. And this is where the church is failing. 
we ourselves have become the object of our own worship. And it's causing our worship to be empty. And we're seeking or looking for the praise or adoration of those to whom are around us when we worship. We're looking for the response or the applause of the crowd. The world will say, I'm trying to feed off your energy. I'm looking for you to get behind me to show me that I'm doing something that's moving you. So in essence, then, I have removed whom I'm worshiping and moved the focus onto me. The object of worship is what's important. We have to be sure that the worship that we offer is only to God himself. You see, a person may be in the temple worshiping, but not worshiping the Father. John 3 and 22 says, ye worship, ye know not what. You see, a man's whole being has to be focused upon the only true and living God, the Father himself, to be truly worshiping. Hallelujah. God has to be the focus of your life. I told my sons this morning, remain Jesus-focused. See life, see the world through Christ. I wear glasses, and these help me to see clearer. But you can only see clearly through the lens of Christ. It's where you can see through all the noise. You can see through all the drama, all the, the chaos, all the, the issues. When you're focused on Jesus, your worship is to Jesus. You're connected, you're intimate with Jesus. You are worshiping, he is embracing, he is inhabiting you are untouchable in the face of calamity. You are untouchable when you are surrounding yourself in true worship to God. Because the very embodiment of God that comes out of you surrounds you almost like a cocoon. And its purpose is to protect you from everything. Second, worship and salvation are said to be of the Jews. The word salvation in the Greek has a definite article attached to it. He soteria, the salvation. The definite article is the word the. The Messiah who is salvation of is the salvation of all men comes through the Jews not from any other source. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, John 14 and 6. 
Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I can go on and on and on with scriptures that identify Jesus as the connection or the source of our salvation. He, uh, Jesus said we. He identified himself with the Jews. He was fully born Jew. He was not of any other nationality, nor was he a mixture of any other blood. Salvation is of the Jews. All other worship is an expression of man's own ideas. No matter how rational or highly esteemed they may be, ye worship, ye know not what. You see, men are ignorant of God himself, the only living and true God. Matthew tells us, for his people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their uh, eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be uh, converted, and I should heal them. Hallelujah. So many scriptures I've written down. We have to understand, to be in the face of God is empowering. It's healing. It's delivering. What we witnessed today, it's not about how well we played, how excellent was our tone, how on beat was our rhythm. But you could see and feel God in our midst. You could see that God recognized worship was taking place. It was a shedding of our fleshly inhibitions and a freeing of the spirit of God in us to call out to himself. Even unto the testimony that was given A hard thing to say, a hard thing to share, because people are strange. And not everybody can handle your truth. Not everybody wants to admit that they were in the same place. Hallelujah. But because the Spirit of God is in our presence, the revelation of our liberty, our freedom in Christ is revealed. The plan and the strategy of the enemy is exposed, and the testimony of our victory is released. All because 
we worship God recognizing that we without God are incapable of being or doing anything. You see, man is created to worship God, but to worship God in spirit. You see, in Genesis 2 and 7, when the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, the material used to form man was dust, or as Isaiah in uh, 64 and 8 declares, clay. You could think of it as a lump of the earth in the hands of God. Man's physical material or substance is of the earth. The very forming of his body is like that of an earthen vessel. And I, I, I know in Scripture, in the book of Romans, the ninth chapter, and in the tenth chapter of the book of Job, uh, the Bible references earthen vessels. You see, the food that man eats is of the earth. The end of the man's physical body, it causes the body to return to the earth. And there is a sense in which man is then a paradox. He was created with all the dignity and honor possible, being created by the very hand of God and given the very breath of God to live. Yet he was also created out of the most base and lowly stuff of all, dirt. So in one sense, man has every reason to glory. In another sense, he has every reason to remain humble. What is to be our attitude? There's nothing wrong with glory. There's nothing wrong with being humble. It is the reason or the object for glorying and being humble that makes one right or wrong in the face of God. Man is to worship and glory in God. God gave him life and the dignity and honor or the privilege of life. God did not owe us anything. I remember God walking in the garden after the fall of Adam and he called out and said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't asking for Adam's physical location. He wasn't asking where. Adam was hiding. He, he wasn't looking for the tree. I'm two trees up and one to the left. But he was trying to determine, really rhetorically, the change that took place. You see, man is to walk humbly toward God even toward other men, because all men come from the same material. It's because of this that we're exhorted to present our body to God as a living sacrifice, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. But man is not only body and soul, he is also spirit. See, this is our distinctive difference from all other created things. The psalmist said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My substance was not hid from thee. 
You see, two distinctive facts need to be noted here. It's not just the breath of life that is given to man. It's the very breath of God's life. God didn't just breathe into you so that your heart could beat, your lungs could begin to fill and, and, then, and then release and your blood to flow. God did not just give you air. He did not just put H2O in you. God put God in you. So every breath you take is God's breath. It's eternal breath. Man was given eternal life. The very spirit of God himself. Just think about this. God's very own breath. His spirit is within every person who is renewed or recreated after him or the image that created him. Ephesians 4 and 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3 and 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We are created and then filled with the breath of God. And then even after our fall, God sends his son to redeem us so that we can be restored in right relationship with him. You see, God breathes his own breath or his own spirit into the very nostrils of mankind. I want you to imagine for yourself the picture. The body of Adam is just lying before God. You, you remember that I've taught this before. All of the creation, when it was created, it was created alive. It was created created moving. When the lion was created, it, it, it didn't lay there lifeless, but it gave a roar. But the body of Adam was lying before God without life. It had just been formed by the very hand of God from the dust of the earth, yet it was lifeless, just a body never having breathed. Picture for yourself this. There have been times when I've laid on the floor naked and asked God to breathe into me again the breath of his presence. Adam was lifeless. Then God breathes into Adam's nostrils his life, his being. And this is the life that goes on and on, never ending. This is the life that is eternal. Now, here's the point that I want to make. God made no other creature like this. God gave no other creature his own breath, nor does he use this method of creation with any other creature. These two facts make man's creation distinctive from all the rest. Yet man cleaves to this earth and its worldliness. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Proverbs 15 and 32. 
how often the spirit of man should breathe after God. You see, the creation of man is in the image and the likeness of God. You know that I've said this often, we were made in his image, even by his own counsel, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. So whatever the image and likeness of God means, it is that which distinguishes us from all other life which God created. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I am distinguished and distinctive and different. Nowhere else does God say he created a being in his own image and after his own likeness. Only man is in the image and likeness of God. What is the image and likeness of God in man then? It's unlikely that it means the soul of man because the Bible tells us all living creatures are souls. They were created as living souls. This is clearly pointed out in the Hebrew language of Genesis 1 and 20, which says that the waters bring forth abundantly living souls, nefesh, that hath life. All living creatures possess the breath of life. It's unlikely that it means the ability to reason. Apparently, animals have the ability to reason and to learn to varying degrees. Animals show ability to think when facing an enemy or difficulties in the innumerable experiences of life. It's unlikely that it means the ability to be moral and just because animals, especially some animals, both individually and within familial groups, have rules and practices and deeds or acts that lead to moral or virtuous behavior among themselves and even toward each other. It seems to be an exercise of right and wrong amongst animals. However, it needs to be pointed out that just as man is far superior to animals mentally, they are also far superior to animals morally. Man is far superior to animals both as a rational being, a being that reasons, and a moral being, a being that is just relating to others as he should. You see, being spiritually and mentally renewed in Christ affects the rational and moral powers within man. Man can be created in righteousness and true holiness. Man can be delivered from the legalistic bondage and rules of a man-conceived righteousness and holiness or religion. What does this image mean? It means that God gave man his spirit, his immortal breath, his life that lives forever just like God. God went beyond what he had made when he created the animals of the earth, a soul and an earthly life, a temporal breath. God made man a spirit, an eternal life, an immortal breath that is just like himself, just like his own life, to be in the image and the likeness of God. See, animals aren't spirits. Animals are only souls. And as living souls, they 
are enabled by varying degrees to breathe, to reason, and to relate, but none of them had the inherent power to breathe eternally, nor the drive and ability to reason after God and to relate to God. Man does have that power, that drive, and that ability. You can relate to God. Man is spirit, even as God is spirit. Man is not only body and soul as the animals of creation. Man is not only a living, breathing soul made for this earth. Man is a spirit, an immortal being made to live with God, an immortal being forever. Man carries two distinguishing marks of God's image, two distinguishing marks of man as a spirit. And I'll close with these. God's image in man is the spirit or power of immortality. You see, man lives beyond this earth, lives eternally just like God. The question is not whether you shall live forever. The question is where you shall live forever. The Bible declares that hell is expanding. The Bible also declares that heaven is being prepared. So the only two destinations you have are heaven and hell. And both are in a state of expansion, of preparation. The question is not that you are going, it is where you are going. You have the power to reason after God. You are spirit, even as God is spirit. Man is not only a living, breathing soul and body like the animals that are made, but man is a spirit. God's image in man is the spirit or the drive or the ability or the choice to worship. You see, Jaleesa had a choice in the hospital. She had a choice. She could worship God. She had a drive within her, an ability in her, a spiritual intimate connection in her to worship God. And it saved her very natural life. You see, man doesn't only have the soulish ability to reason and to relate, but an unquenchable spiritual drive and ability to reason after God and to relate to God. No earthly animal has this ability or this freedom of choice. The, the Bible does ascribe to souls varying abilities, but no animal, no soul has the ability to reason after God or relate to God. Worship is a spiritual drive. It is a spiritual ability. It is the ability of the spirit of man to go after God. This is why worship is so vital in the life of a believer. It is your drive to go after God. Animals know things and understand things of the earth, and so does man. 
But man has the capability to know, believe, and understand things of God. Isaiah 43 and 10 tells us this. Man is to worship God. God is spirit, and he has created man as a spirit so that man could fulfill his created purpose to worship. Amen. Now, the rebellion of man against God, called Adam's fall, affected God's image within man. God had created man as an immortal being. Man was to live on this earth and to live with God forever. When man exercised his ability of choice and turned against God, he lost both his rights. He could no longer live on the earth forever, nor could he live with God forever. And in this rebellion against God, man was saying that he preferred a different world, a world that was a world other than the world of God. And he preferred to have different gods, his own will, other than God's will. And because of this, man condemns himself to leave this earth or to die and to be separated from God eternally. Now, man was already created as an immortal being. And because of this, man will continue on. He was going to exist forever, but he was to be placed somewhere else other than this earth. He was to be separated from God forever. It was his choice. The image of God, the power of immortality and the drive, uh, to, uh, the ability to worship and to live with God was marred eternally. So the image of God within man can be renewed. Man can now put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, there is a prominent preacher. My wife and I were just talking about this this week. There's a prominent preacher, large congregation, who spoke a blasphemy against God to the applause of people. Thousands of people in this man's congregation. My wife can tell you I was incensed. Well-known, I'm not going to say his name, well-known. But he made a statement that God broke his own law for man because he loved man. And everyone's, ah, praise the Lord. And it's a bold-faced lie. And it smacks in the face of all that is true. God cannot, nor would he ever, break his own law. That's right. Amen. Amen. What God did be when man broke his law was send his son in the likeness of man to fulfill his law so that man could be translated from the judgment of his law into the liberty of his grace. So easy, peace.
people are captivated by lies and deceit. And then they wonder why their worship is defiled. This is why I teach you, the Bible teaches you, try the spirits. Yes. Anything that is said should be justified by the word of God. Amen. I don't care who says it, how famous they are, how powerful they may be, how much money they may have. Teaching you about prosperity, earthly prosperity, which is temporal by nature, would have done nothing to help Jaleesa in the hospital. Amen. How do I know this? Oh, if I had money, my life would be better. Amen. How do I know this? Because rich people are killing themselves every day. We as the people of God have to stand upon the truth of God. And we have to recognize immediately when what's being spoken is not truth. Because when you start following after these kind of crazy ideas and theologies, you warp or mar your worship. Uh It becomes distorted. It's like having cable television, but not having cable television. You know, when, when, when the TVs were this big and you had antennas, you would turn the channels and you try to move the channel, the, the antennas just right, and you could get like some bit of the picture and you could see something going on, you know, something you didn't have the right to see because you didn't pay for cable. But you get the attendant just where you could just make, kind of make out what the picture was. And you could kind of enjoy it, but really couldn't. It kind of felt good. It kind of looked good. You even tell people, I got cable. Or I saw such and such show. <laughs> Knowing the whole time the experience was marred. The experience was not what it was intended to be. You're supposed to just turn to the channel and enjoy it in all of its splendor. Hearing the sound, being enveloped by it, even to the point where you feel like you're a part of what's going on. Uh Worship. You have to protect your worship. You have to protect the truth of God in you. You can't just let anybody or, e- or everybody speak over your life. Amen. You can't let everybody lay hands on you. Amen. You better know that who's touching you is a man or woman of God else they might loose in you something you don't want. That's right. 
It's important, people of God, that we begin to take seriously our relationship with God. I'll tell you just how important it is. We, we can't just accept things as they are because they've always been this way. And nobody is exempt from this. And I'll give you this example and I'll close. Last Sunday, Brother Bob came to me and he showed me our pamphlet. And in the pamphlet is what's known as an article of our faith, otherwise referenced as the apostolic admonition. And we had a conversation about it, and I was so moved by it because I never really paid attention, and I'm helping everyone in here that was in Bible study, so you better be paying attention. But I'm, I'm born in the apostolic faith. I'm reared in it. Now, I don't teach doctrine. I teach relationship with Jesus. Because your doctrine is just a form of division within the body of Christ. And Jesus did not come to divide us, but he came to unite us under the banner that is Jesus. But there are things in there, and so I like this is what I really like about Bob. He said, You know, you don't teach this. And I looked at it, and I'm reading it, and so then I go to explain, and he says, Yeah, that's what you teach, but that's not what that says. So, Bob, just so you know, I turned it into a homework assignment for everyone that was in Bible study. I said, review this. Tell me if this is what we teach. And if it's not, tell me where it's wrong. Because I want people to begin to see things like you do. Open to the Spirit of God to say, just because something is the way it is and has been that way for years does not mean it cannot be challenged because if it cannot be supported by God's word, it's wrong. That's right. And if it's wrong, it's misguiding. And if it's misguiding, it'll affect your worship. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a hint to everybody in Bible study. You should find something wrong. Now, Brother Bob, I hold you to secrecy. They're going to bombard you and ask you because they know they won't get it from me. Don't tell them. Tell them to let God tell them, just like God showed you. And I expect that homework assignment on Tuesday. Amen. But this is why it's so vitally important. Because if you don't think you'll get to a place where Jaleesa was, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. We are all susceptible 
to being overwhelmed by depression, to being oppressed by the weight of this world. God didn't create us to carry that. This is why he said, you are an overcomer, more than an overcomer, because I overcame the world. Not only did I overcome your dilemma, but I overcame the environment that created your dilemma. So not only do you get to overcome the crisis, but you overcome every element that was involved in the creation of the crisis in the first place. So when the crisis reveals itself, you can declare, I've already overcome. And then you can worship God in truth and in spirit because you recognize not only who he is, but who you are in him. Worship is so vitally important. My direction to the praise team is to stop trying to move the congregation. I don't even want them to look at the congregation. Because sometimes looking at the congregation will make you feel some kind of way about yourself. It's all about Jesus. When you come to worship, you come to play, don't look at the keys. Don't make sure I'm hitting every chord. I want you focused on Jesus. I want you so sold out that the Spirit of God inhabits your praise so much that you play beyond your ability. That you play beyond your gifting. That you play in such a manner that it chases the enemy away. That you sing. And I promise the praise team that if you forget the congregation and focus on Jesus and just let yourself go in the presence of God, forgetting all of the professional stuff. We're not here to put on a show anyway. It doesn't matter if mistakes are made, if tones are off, if beats are missed. It, it, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is what I'm doing genuine in the face of God. Am I trying to approach the presence of God? Yeah. Because if I am, You think COVID is infectious? You can't help but be touched when somebody is truly worshiping God. You will leave here different because you are in the face of God. How do I know this? 
We have a living testimony that I didn't know nothing about preparing this lesson today. But so fulfills as a testimony of what I'm telling you. She went in the hospital on the brink of giving up. But because she worshiped. You see, worship will change you. It will change everything about you. When you come to church and then go back into the remainder of the week and act like yourself, like you've always acted, you've denied yourself the beauty of being in the presence of God because you cannot be in the presence of a holy God and remain the same. Jaleesa went in wanting to take her life, and she's here today full of life because she was in the presence of God. And I'm so thankful. I am so thankful. There's a tremendous anointing on your life. There's a tremendous gift in you. You haven't realized your potential yet. You're only just now touching the tip of the spear of who you are. And how God is going to use you. God is allowing things to occur in your life, not to break you, but so that you might see what he has made you. He's not making you, he made you. But before you can fulfill the calling on your life, you have to accept who you are. And the only way to know that what you've thought about yourself is real is for God to show you. Lives are going to be saved through the witness of your life. When Saul was tormented, he called for David. He could have called for anyone that could play a harp. But he called for David because there was an anointing on his playing. Jaleesa, there's an anointing on your singing. Life has tried to weigh you down to quiet your voice. But God showed you on Thursday the power that is in your voice.
that it chased away. And it won't be just you. Opportunities are coming to you where you will have information and knowledge of people on the brink of giving up their life. And God is going to put you in a situation where you can minister through your gift into their life. And their very lives are going to be spared because of the anointing on yours. That's why the enemy wants to kill you. But the angel of the Lord bears not the sword in vain. He is your defender and your keeper. You can have confidence and trust in him that he has knowledge of the weight and the burden of your life. But you can also leave here today in the confidence that every weight, every burden, he has already dealt with. This is why he declares in his word, cast your cares on me, for I careth for you. I will be your burden bearer. Release it to God. Allow God to use you as he chooses. And the life that you will live, the experience of that life will be beyond your imagination. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's look to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus. We salute you today, our King, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Father, our Friend. We love you. Some of us are in a place, Father, where we could just cry, Abba, Father. And the promise of your word is that you would not only hear us, but you would meet us at the point of our need. Now I'm asking. Your word says we have not because we ask not. So I'm asking. Stay the hand of the enemy. Do what only you can do. Meet us at the point of our need. Minister your grace and truth to us. Liberate us. Free us from the weight of our fleshly living. Guide us in our thinking. Release in clarity and understanding your word of truth in our mind that as we open our mouth, we would speak into our atmosphere and command it to change. That you would be glorified in and because of it. I loose right now every gift of God in this house. Every anointing. 
is loosed. I free you in the name of Jesus. I call you forth. I send you out into your mission field. You shall not return void. But you shall accomplish bringing glory to God. Every broken heart mended. Every troubled soul filled with peace. I speak restoration in marriage. Restoration in family. In the name of Jesus, Satan the Lord rebuke you. Every scheme, every device, every scam that you've tried to pull in all your deceitfulness, you are less than the God in me. And I stand upon the victory that has been won for me through Jesus Christ, my Savior. Father, open my heart and my mind, my eyes, that I might see and hear what you are saying, what you are doing in my behalf. Here we are, Lord, send us. Whatever it is, Lord, do it through us. Use us for your glory. We thank you for great victory. We thank you for healing. We thank you for deliverance. We thank you for peace. We thank you for your joy. In my own weakness, you have made me strong. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I worship you, Lord. Right here. Right where I'm at. Because you are here with me. You are right here. Praise your holy name. Father, I ask that you take this congregation of people, whether they be present physically or technologically, into the remainder of this week, everyone under the sound of my voice, and let them run right into you. Let them run into every miracle being performed in their behalf. Let them run right into the witness of their testimony being magnified for your glory. Let them run right into your peace. Let them run right into your joy. Let them run right into your abundance. Let them run right into your covering. Let them run right into your promotion. Let them run right into you, Lord. Fill them in such a way Like they've never been filled before. An overflow of your presence. We 
thank you because you hear us. We've made known our request unto you. We stand in victory, receiving even that which we've asked for. For you are God, the rewarder of them that diligently seek after you. So we don't leave here doubting. We leave here in confidence, knowing that this week, this week, we're going to see you in ways, know you in ways we never had before. And it's going to make this week different from every other week that has come before it. We're going to grow in you this week. We're going to be more confident in you this week. We're going to feel your presence and be drawn to you more this week. So we are excited about this week. And we say thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let it be even as I have declared. Amen. Consider yourself dismissed. Fellowship one with another.